Welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Here's your host, Peter Steinfeld. Welcome back, everyone. I invited Burke Brownfield to join me on the show today. Burke is the Manager of Physical Security Operations, Awareness, and Partnerships at Zoom, and he's also a contributing writer to Security Magazine. Prior to Zoom, he was the Director of Global Security at Visa for many years and is also a former police officer, so he has a unique perspective on what it means to keep people safe. During our conversation, Burke discusses the importance of leading with empathy and how it ties into Zoom's core value of bringing happiness to the workplace. Let's get into the conversation. Burke, you joined Zoom during the pandemic while the company was undergoing a tremendous amount of growth and change. What was that experience like for you? For me, it's really been kind of the the most exciting professional experience of my career in the sense that every day has been a building day. Always building something new, creating something new. There's innovation and creativity is a requirement and was a requirement from day one. And just to try to keep up with the growth of the company was such an exciting challenge and continues to be a challenge now that I've been there almost a year now. Being in a remote scenario, you know, we face the challenge, of course, of building relationships and trust inside the company with other teams as we were doing things like preparing to return to office. And that all was kind of happening very quickly. What was your approach for building that trust with your colleagues? So the one thing that I just really loved about Zoom is in the, the reason it felt easy in a way was because if you go onto Zoom's website and you scroll down, and you'll f- quickly find this theme of delivering happiness. And even under the description of culture, it says delivering happiness. And I latched onto that really early on. Day one, I thought, okay, if I'm ever lost or don't know what to do here, I'm just going to fall back on that. And I'm going to just say, you know what? The CEO talks about this all the time. He really means it. This is a, that's really personal to him about this idea that we should all be, have, be motivated by this idea of delivering happiness. And so I started to look at every call and meeting that I had with a colleague or kind of a cross-functional partner and ask myself, how am I delivering happiness in this call? How am I delivering happiness in this meeting? So I would ask myself that first and then get to the business of the call. And I found that by taking that approach of really you know, embodying the desired culture that the company, of course, is putting out to the public, but also embodying that internally, you know, and so that maybe not all customers are going to see that. They're not going to know about the, you know, internal meetings I may be having, but I'm taking that seriously in a very inward way of saying, okay, I want to make sure that I'm also delivering happiness with my colleagues internally. And when you think about delivering happiness, it's all about the other person and not about you and your agenda. And that requires a lot of empathy. So in your opinion, why does empathy play such an important role in workplace dynamics? Empathy is such a foundational concept for building trust, respect, understanding of the other person. And hopefully, if both people are making this effort, you've got a really healthy relationship going. I started to sit down and and study empathy and sort of try to deconstruct it. Empathy, in my opinion, is the effort of putting yourself in another person's shoes. And the reason I say the effort It's because we'll never get there. We'll never really be in someone else's shoes. You'll never really understand what it's like to live another person's life. But the effort that we take to get there 
is the important part. That is the empathy part. And then I started to say, okay, well, what are some really basic building blocks and actions that people can take? And I was looking at it largely through the kind of corporate security safety lens, but I believe it's applicable really broadly. I mean, salespeople talk about empathy all the time as an effective sales technique, for example. But so I broke it down into several building blocks and I, I won't list them all now, but some of the really important ones for me that I try to use on a daily basis as much as I can is first of all, looking at the ideas of process is more important than outcome. Sometimes in security, we can be the bearer of bad news, right? Perhaps we're putting out a policy that restricts something, or there's even moments where there might be a scenario where you're literally saying, uh, excuse me, can you come here, please? Uh, you don't have your badge, well, those sorts of interactions. Those can easily be negative interactions. And that's because we focus sometimes too much on the outcome. Oh, it's a ne you know, the outcome's bad, so this person's not going to like me. This person's, you know, have a, an unfavorable view of security at the end. But what I found is if we actually focus much more on how we handle ourselves and how we communicate and how we treat people in those moments, that actually is what they walk away with. Then the other one that's really, really important for me is the importance of why. So uh, many people you know, who listen to this have probably read Simon Sinek's Start With Why. And the bottom line is why is really important. So in the security context, for example, I'm always asking myself, will the people receiving this intuitively know why I'm doing this or do I need to explain it? You know, like here's this new training about workplace violence. Could that be really alarming and scary for someone who gets no explanation as to why I'm put, putting out this message? So this is where I think we can often make mistakes where someone is maybe the manager of an employee and the manager provides you know, a direction, do this. And so one mistake early on could be that the manager doesn't give any why behind the, the do this part. But also what's equally valuable in my opinion is allowing and, and in fact, welcoming the employee to respond back with saying, for example, well, I'm not sure if that's the, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, why? Please explain why to me. What's your perspective on this? And sometimes I've found, you know, whether it's operational security or, or just working with colleagues, sometimes people just want to be able to get something off their chest and explain their perspective. So that ties into the very last one, which is if everyone listened to all that and immediately forgot everything I just said, the easiest thing to do, in my opinion, to walk or crawl towards being more empathetic it's just to ask people more questions and listen more. Where did you grow up? I mean, just really basic questions allow you to gain more and more and more perspective of another person. And that in and of itself is a piece of empathy. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. It's interesting you bring this up. I was just rereading for, I don't know, the nth time, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And part yeah. three of his book is all about that, how to get people to or win people toward your way of thinking. And it's everything you just talked about. So it's another great primer if people want to go out and just read that again on, you got to put yourself in other people's shoes, have discussions, let them voice their opinions. But in a lot of your speaking engagements and articles, you also discuss why empathy is so important for security leaders specifically. So can you tell us more about that? You know, if you're a security leader and you really want to be effective in your role, you could take a lot of these components of empathy and apply it into really a business context. And so the comfort zone for many security professionals is the traditional guns, gates, guards stuff. But I would argue if we take some of the same building blocks of empathy and say, okay, the business itself, what is the business's why? 
why does this business even exist? What is this business fundamentally doing? You know, what is this business making? You know, and how are they convincing people to spend money on it and be loyal to that business? You know, if you're really, if you're protecting the business, you know, on a macro level, so that's not just protecting, say, a facility, but protecting a brand, protecting people, protecting travelers, uh, all those things, right? It starts to be crucially important to pause and ask, okay, why are we doing that? Those should be really natural questions for the security leader, because then suddenly you start to understand where you fit and where you can actually be valuable to the business instead of what the natural thing is to do, which is just bring your set of skills and start throwing it at the business. And I think that's the, the difficult is getting us out of our comfort zone and starting to really take the time to put ourselves in the shoes of folks that have very different priorities, very different experiences than us. That's really interesting. So to up-level your value to the organization, stop focusing on just the tactical things that you do with guns, gates, and guards and start thinking in terms of how can I advance the business overall and how can the security function add to that? Exactly. And is that, is that the approach that you've taken with your corporate security leadership roles in the past? Have you seen really good success with that approach? Yeah. So I, of course, like everyone, have a mixture of total failures and successes <laughs> in this. Let's let everyone learn from those failures. No. <laughs> when I first left policing. My first job outside of policing was I worked for the Peace Corps. But I worked in the Peace Corps as a regional security officer covering uh, South America and the Caribbean. The first challenge that I had was, first of all, all the things I just said, I had no idea about any of that. I had no understanding of this idea of stepping out of my kind of more authoritative role as a police officer and now into more of a collaborative role of one piece of a much bigger pie, that was very foreign to me. And so one thing that I really learned early on at the Peace Corps, and that I I'm always have this in the front of my mind now and in all of my jobs since, is this idea of, you know, stop telling people no and start explaining how. And so what I found as an example in the Peace Corps was we were going to reopen the Columbia Peace Corps program in South America. It had previously closed because a volunteer had been kidnapped. So there were really serious security challenges in that country. And there was no question that there was definitely risk, you know, going back there. And my gut reaction was what I'm telling people not to do, which was, no, no, I don't think we should do it. And then I realized very quickly, no one really cares if you think we shouldn't do it. We are doing it. That's not yeah. the question. The question isn't whether you individually think it's a good idea or a bad idea or what your risk tolerance is. That's not what you're being asked. What you're being asked is what do we need to have in place to do it safely? And then I realized, okay, I'm answering the wrong question. Mm. <laughs> so here I am trying to provide value, but my understanding of what was valuable to the organization was incorrect. And so I realized, okay, that's not what they want from me. They want me to help them be successful in this reopening. The reopening is happening. So great. Now I reoriented my kind of my approach to how to be valuable for the organization. One other item that I, I wanted to mention was how could I be part of the sale? Security professionals are often the very first contact that someone has, say at a site. So someone's coming in at the corporate headquarters. Now, suddenly the role is 
extremely important from a psychological perspective, right? What we know about, you know, the science of first impressions is that they're really easy to make and really hard to overcome. Whether they're good or bad, it's very difficult to reverse the first impression. Suddenly, you're part of the sale. You're not even intentionally part of the sale, but you're part of it. And now it's up to you how much you take that and run with it and add as much value as you can into the process. That's really interesting. Do you think that's probably the biggest disconnect that people have when they're trying to transition from a career in law enforcement or the military and moving into the private corporate security world? I know it's just a, it's a huge switch in mindset, resources, expectations, and all of that. Usually, coming from a kind of law enforcement military perspective, the concept of revenue is not something we, you know, would normally need to care about. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, you might have to care about your budget or right. things like that. But this idea of connecting yourself to your organization, bringing in revenue or succeeding as a business. So that's a learning curve for sure. No question. What I found most difficult, for example, when I went to the Peace Corps was this idea that I couldn't perform tasks based on authority. Authority was irrelevant. Didn't really matter if this was a quote unquote security policy. People just didn't really care. Like just because it was a policy didn't mean they were going to follow it. And it's not like I could turn around and say, well, now you're under arrest. I mean, that was not a thing. <laughs> so <laughs> as much as you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> right. That would have been very natural for me. Okay, well, I'll just pull up my handcuffs and you're under arrest. But once you realize that, you say, oh, okay, suddenly things like collaboration, listening, facilitating, gaining consensus, all of a sudden are immediately much more valuable than whatever your perceived authority within that organization might be. I mean, it's kind of like, who cares if you might have the authority to write this policy or that policy? If anyone follows it is the question. And the way you get people to follow it is all those other things. You got to get people to believe in it. You got to train them. You got to empower them. You've got to get them to feel like they're part of it. All those kind of things, which are not necessarily requirements in the previous life. Ultimately, the question of, am I going to be successful, will not ride on my authority. It's going to ride on how well I do these other things, which is how empathetic am I? How good am I at building relationships? How good am I at asking the right questions, at listening, at gaining consensus and negotiating and maybe backing off of what my ideal version was, but taking into account for other people's input and then having a version that everyone believed in. All of those skills end up being so much more important well, that's fantastic advice. Was there ever a time at Zoom or any other point in your career where you had additional aha moments like you had at the Peace Corps that shaped how you think about corporate security or res resilience in general? Yeah. So one of my favorite aha moments is, again, a failure. And it was when I was working at the Washington, D.C. Metro System. And we were going through this big security upgrade of improving our perimeter fencing at certain key rail yards. It's beautiful, anti-cut, anti-climb fencing, very expensive, much taller than the old one, et cetera. And so we had it all installed. And I, I went there to sort of do the acceptance of the, the fence with the contractors and everything. And so we had these uh, guard booths that our special police officers would stand in. And that's where they would see, you know, vehicles coming and check people, those kind of things. And so I'm, I'm standing there, you know, my chest is puffed out. I'm proud. I'm excited. This is like beautiful product. And I walk up to the special police officer and I turn to him and I'm like, hey, what do you, what do you think of the new fence? And I'm just assuming he's going to be like, ah, it's, it's amazing, you know? And he kind of like is pausing, not, not really wanting to answer me. And I'm thinking like, 
he's got something like that he's, you know, holding on to here. I'm like, what, what, what is it? And he's like, well, the thing is, I can't see the cars anymore when they come. And I'm like, huh, what do you mean? So now I'm, I literally am like, hey, can I stand where you stand? So he moves aside and I stand where he normally stands for his shift. And I look out and all I see is an angle of a fence. And this new fence, the, the way the mesh was, was so tight that if you didn't look at it exactly head on, it looked like you're looking at a brick wall. You oh, just wow. can't see through it at all. So now what I had done was I had put in this brand new fence that was unbelievably expensive that so incapacitated this guy from being able to do his job. And really, it was all my fault. And the reason was I never took his perspective into account during the planning of this project. Mm. If I had gone and stood in his shoes for just five seconds and said, hey, tell me a little bit about what you do, then I would have immediately understood, oh, well, we can't put the fence there then. That's not going to work. And I really learned that lesson the hard way of saying, okay, I'm not asking the right questions at the right time of the right people. And that's what I need to start doing. But this asking questions of the right people is fundamental. And it also, I think this is a, a, more of a leadership question too, which is uh, the higher we ascend, also the more distant we get from the direct operational moments of the work. And we can't forget that. We cannot ignore the fact that we aren't there doing it. And the only way to close that gap is by intentionally talking and listening and, and spending time with the people that are doing that work so that you're not completely blind. Oh, yeah. It sounds like it's a simple mathematical equation that successful outcome equals experience plus input, but we oftentimes let our ego get in the way of that input. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. I love that. Yes, absolutely. Very cool. Well, to wrap up our conversation today, do you have a favorite quote or a motto that can be applied to security or business resilience that you can share with our audience? So the quote is, it is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. Mm. That's Harry, Harry Truman said that. But that has really allowed me to put my ego in check, which I think all of us, every human struggles with this idea of, is my ego getting in the way of success or getting in the way of a positive outcome? And sometimes egos really are preventing a successful outcome. And some of us are less honest with ourselves than others about that topic. But for me, once I, I really took that quote to heart, it allowed me to let go of my ego-driven kind of desires, right? Where if you say, oh, hmm, I want the spotlight for this, or I want my name to be on this document. Well, suddenly, now it's more about you and less about the impact that you could have. But if you reverse it, and this is where I try to take this quote seriously, I try to be much more focused now on being impact-driven. What is the way that I can have the highest impact on whatever I'm doing? And if that means I'm behind the scenes, or if that means I'm in the front, for me, that doesn't matter because it's really driven by what's going to be the most impactful. So in the security context, sometimes that might mean, you know, maybe the CEO, this is a great thing. If, if you've built enough trust and credibility with your C-suite and the CEO goes to you and says, hey, I would like a statement on what I can say about, you know, safety in the workplace. And you say, no problem. And you write up four sentences and they're beautiful. 
And then the CEO puts it on their LinkedIn page or puts it on a you know, company-wide message and it's their words. Your ego will bother you about it maybe. But ultimately, you had impact. You impacted what the message was from the CEO. That's awesome. That's really cool. That is success. Well, Burke, we really appreciate you joining us on the show today. I know our audience learned a lot from it. I did as well. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. If any of our listeners would like to connect with you out there or read some of your work, how can they do that? Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. And I, I usually um, have uh, my articles for Security Magazine and other articles right there on my profile. That's probably the best way. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks again to Burke and all of you for joining us on the Employee Safety Podcast. We invite you to subscribe to future episodes at Alert Media's website or on your favorite podcast player. We'd also appreciate you giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.